Everybody have a great Thanksgiving? Good. All you got to do is look at me one time and know that I did. And I've, I've had plenty of good Thanksgivings over the past few years. But uh, really, actually, nothing new has been going on in my life whatsoever. It's just been kind of boring. And Oh, how'd that get up there? Meet my new grandson, uh, Zev Barry, born on the 22nd, eight pounds. Yeah, that's him. Looks just like Grandpa, but I just need to put a beard, beard on him, be good to go. But anyway, yeah, I had to brag on that, and I had permission from Mom and Dad to uh, to let everyone see, even though a lot of you probably have already seen on social media. But anyway, we're pretty proud of that. So, you ready to get into God's Word today? Good. I appreciate your enthusiasm. <clears throat> um, I I tell you what, have do you remember? Uh, being 14 years old. Let me ask this. How many of you are 14 right now? Any of you guys? One, two, three, four. Any other 14-year-olds? Okay. Yep, there you go. Five, six, seven. Jeremy? (laughs) Yeah, I want to ask how many times he's been 14, but um, I think I'm, I'm up to five times being 14 or something like that. Anyway. Do you remember what it's like? And and if you're 14 right now, you should remember what it's like. And if you don't, there's something seriously medically wrong. But uh, but for me, anyway, 14 was, 14, 15, you know, somewhere around that age, uh, was interesting time of life for all sorts of different reasons. Um, One thing, uh, I just don't remember much, to be honest, because it was so long ago. Jeez. But I, I do remember that I wasn't... I, let's put it this way. It was a time of life where I wanted to be an adult, but at the same time, didn't. You know what I mean? And, uh, I, 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 and here's the thing. I think that we all have gone through that. Uh, but the, the one thing I, I wanted to bring out this, this morning is we're talking in a series about in the storm is, is from a viewpoint of actually from a 14-year-old, which actually might help you tremendously. When it comes to facing storms in life. Now, as we get on with after Thanksgiving and, and, and Christmas, and uh, the only reason we don't have our tree up yet is not because of not my, my, it's not my wife's doing, because she would have it up last month. Uh, but I've kind of been slacking, I'll just be honest. And I told her, I can't do it this week, and I've got a sermon. All right? So we can't, you can't do that. Uh, can't, I, I just mentally cannot be putting up a Christmas tree. Just That was my excuse anyway. And then, so we haven't done that yet. <clears throat> but at Christmas right around the corner, one thing my wife loves is, old, uh, is nativity scenes. I mean, she's got all sorts of nativity scenes. One's a Charlie Brown one. One's like, oh, you know, all the traditional nativity scenes. One is actually, I think, like some toy dinosaurs dressed in. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I, here's the thing. Uh, that she just loves it. She loves the time of year, and I and I and I get it. And uh, we love to watch. She was to watch Christmas movies, like everything. What is it? Lifetime or whatever can throw at you, or Hallmark or whatever it is. I can't keep up. I can't keep up with them all because I told her. I said I've I've only I've I've watched one with her, and I said I've watched them all now. <laughs> because once you've seen one, you've seen them all. I I can st- I can tell you the plot right. I can give you a really good plot right now. In about 15 minutes, I can describe every Christmas movie that was ever made at Hallmark Channel. But I'm just, I'm just being honest. Okay. 
Now, we're joking aside. I think the thing is, the, the thing that kind of captures our attention at Christmas as Christians, I would hope, being the birth of Christ, is, is, is something unique, so unique to that story. Not just because it's Jesus, but just think about the story as a story. You know what I mean? I mean, the, you know, Joseph and Mary... And, and the, the manger scene and the, you know, being born in a stable or a cave or something, you know, around Bethlehem, the shepherds, the, the angels, the wise men. I mean, think about everything you can think of when it comes to the nativity. And if you really stop to think and not just romanticize it, you're going to find out some things behind the story that just kind of will blow your mind away if you let it. And one of them is a is a 14-year-old by the name of Mary. You know, I, people say, well, no, there's, there's no way she could have been 14. Yeah, but at the time of giving birth to Jesus, we think that's exactly how old she was, somewhere between 13 and 16, more like 14. And it was commonplace in their culture for a 14-year-old. Now, when I was 14, I couldn't remember to tie my shoes. But yet, here is the woman who has been told by God, not asked, that she's going to have the Messiah, give birth to the Messiah. And we're going to learn a lot from this 14-year-old. You know, and I think sometimes we, we just uh, don't look past the romantic part of it to see, you know, how, how was she raised? Who was she? Who was she? What's she like? And not only that, but I think some of us tend to even over-romanticize it to the point of even getting to, the, you know, making her more important than what she even is, or going to the point of just not even thinking about it whatsoever when it comes to the story of Jesus. But I think there's some, there's some happy medium in there, if you know what I mean. The fact that she was a woman, a girl. And, and, and not any ordinary girl. I mean, Jewish, Jewish culture would have a 14-year-old, would, she would be a woman as far as they were concerned. She would work probably somewhere 10 to 12 hours a day in, you know, hard manual labor, domestic chores, farming, you name it. Things that I never experienced as a 14-year-old, that's for sure, and had no clue about. And I'm guessing most 14-year-olds in the room today have no clue about. She probably could not read or write. In that culture, it was not an incentive for anyone to, especially with girls, you know, to let a, a girl, you know, teach her things from the, from the Testaments, from the Old Testament, from the Torah, to, to, to teach her how to read and write. It was a priority more for boys, and, not all, and a lot of the poor did not learn it at all, even the boys. So a poor girl, what chance does she have? Because Mary definitely came from a, a poverty-stricken family. She was in a town of Nazareth of maybe somewhere between 800 and 1,600 people. It was an agrarian society. She had a hard life. And by the time she's 14, who receives a vision with, you know, not just a vision, but, in, you know, real stuff here. But the angel Gabriel showing up and telling her she's going to have a son who's the Messiah, the Son of God. I mean, think about this. Everything she had planned for her life, you know, up to 14, probably even thinking about marriage at this time, even. 
right? Joseph, betrothal, remember all this? Joseph could have been anywhere from, we think he was probably a teenager as well, maybe 18, 19, which was very common in their society, maybe even his early 20s. And she's ready, you know, her whole life is planned out, thinking probably about the, you know, whatever, whatever dreams that she had, and then all of a sudden everything is interrupted majorly. <laughs> and here's her response. We actually get to her response in Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, there's a hymn, we call it, or Mary's song. And I want you to listen to it and read along with me, if you would, in Luke chapter 1. Because I think we're going to really draw some things out for, for today. This is right after she visited with her, her relative, Elizabeth, who was to give birth to John the Baptist, which was also a miraculous way because she was older and up in years. But here's Mary after she visits her. Verse 45 says at the end of this visit, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Does this sound like the words of a 14-year-old? And does it sound like the words of a 14-year-old who doesn't know how to read or write? See, this is what amazes me even more about that culture and about her, is for these words to come out of her mouth at 14 years old, a willing servant for the sake of the Lord. You know, there are several Old Testament passages that are quoted in this, coming from Psalms, coming from Samuel. Do you remember Samuel's mother who couldn't have ch uh, children? Hannah, there's a song that she had recorded, if you will that she was actually referring to because she knew it. See, what amazed me is that me, at 14 years old, I hardly even knew my Bible at all. I didn't already pick it up. I hardly ever read anything. And I had Bibles over my house. But here's a 14-year-old girl who couldn't read and write who knew the Scripture to shame us all. And the Scripture that she knew, what did she quote? It was a scripture from yesterday, see? The scripture of, of the promises that God has given to you and to me. And, and here's what I want to get down to, brass tacks today. And that is, I really believe that hope is the one thing that will really anchor you through the storm of life. The problem is, we really don't know what hope is. And if you look at Mary... You have to see that, you know, like Luke, in the very first two chapters of Luke, Luke very makes it, it just kind of a, a major theme in those first two chapters is that God is going to do what he said he will do. That's a major theme. Everybody with me? 
God's going to do what he said he's going to do. And he follows through on that. And Mary is echoing this in her song. If you and I were confronted with something like that, that God told us we were going to do that with an angel visiting us and just totally freaking us out in that way, and putting us, hurling us into a lifestyle we never ever thought we'd have, because you have to think about it, right? What kind of lifestyle did she have after that? People thinking that she was pregnant outside of wedlock in a culture like that. Joseph thinking he's going to just let her go, save his reputation and hers until he is confronted by God himself. Are you with me? A 14-year-old in that society, she was shunned by the community you think her life turned out the way she expected even after all of that? Years and years go by as she watches her son grow up and then all the miracles and she's following him. I mean, we see him all the way through. She's even at the cross watching her son die. And do you think that she expected that when that angel showed up and said he's going to be the savior of the world? She didn't expect that. You know, we, we find that Joseph dies at an early age, we think. He just kind of disappears. Mary, we find out, last, you know, she lives up into her 40s and 50s, which is, you know, older at the time. We find her in the upper room in Acts, <laughs> hanging on to the same hope she always had. It was hope that anchored her to help her get through the worst and this is exactly where my attention turns to, that hope draws from the past. See, I love what Mary looked at. He, she, she knew that what God had said he's going to do, she was anchored in that. And I wonder how many of us really believe what God says he's going to do. Do we really believe in what he's going to do tomorrow? And the reason I ask that question is, I look at myself and I look at the way I'm acting today, and I don't act as if I really know what God has already done. Hope draws from the past. I love what Mary said. You know, she was poor, poverty-stricken. And, what, and in her song, what does she say? That the God, God cares about the poor that he brings the most lowly in her, you know, in her most humble estate. She brings the most lowly and gives them victory. I love this. Uh, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where Paul writes this. This is so true about God. Uh, let's go ahead and, and put that passage. Thank you. For consider your calling, brothers. Do, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world and even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I love that passage because this is our God. Our God takes nothing and turns it into something. Our God is the one who takes people like Mary, 14 years old and scared half to death and doesn't know what she can do, doesn't know how to read, doesn't know how to write, and takes her to bear the Son of God. 
our God is the one who doesn't forget anyone, who leaves no one behind. I think it's amazing how many of us know in our past can attest and testify to what God has done in our life. But in the moment of the day, in the present, we forget. Um, Let's look at another passage, Psalm 25, verse 6. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Mary also says this, that he has remembered his mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is withholding judgment for the things that we deserve. That through all these years, he has not destroyed mankind again, you know. That he has patience with us. That he, your steadfast love, they have been from of old. He's never changed. He's always loved us. He's always remembered his commitment to us. And what God says he will do, he will do. Now, I, I, what I want to wanna get to is this. I, I, this is kind of the meat here. And that is hope draws from the past, but hope changes the present. If you know what hope is, right? Real hope, not hope so hope. Hope changes the present. I, um, I've got this little plaque at home. I'm sure you, some of you guys have it too. You've, and you, if you have, don't have it, you've seen this saying, I'm sure, at some point, uh, written by a lady named Vivian Green, is that life isn't about waiting for the storms to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. Have you seen that? Life's not about waiting for the storms to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. You see, someone who has faith, I would think, anyway, their present, the present that we're living in now, has got to change. I want to read, a, I want to read one, something from uh, Mary's song. Uh, you know, I want to go back if I can. Can we go back to the slides I accidentally skipped in uh, Luke 1, 47? Can we do that? There we go. Luke 47 uh, to 48, Mary uh, says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on me, the humble estate of his servant. He has looked on me. She's stating what has happened in her past. Now let's go to verse 46, please. Mary said right before that, my soul magnifies the Lord, present tense, that I know what he's done for me, but my soul now magnifies the Lord. And my ask this question is, does your life magnify the Lord? Does, does, does my life magnify the Lord? I, I don't know. I'm just being honest. Hey, I'm not in a, I have not, uh, I'm just going to throw this, I'm just, I'm just being as honest as I can. The last couple weeks, we've had some, you know, exciting news with the grandbaby and stuff like that and things in our life. But at the same time, uh, I've been struggling. I've been struggling just uh, me and God here, you know, working some things out. Just like everybody, you know, like you. I've been struggling with, um, just where I'm at in life, who I am, what I am. I think everybody goes, don't you go through that? Why I am. (laughs) And um, 
I got to, I was reading, I was reading uh, something, somebody had written an article, I think it's like a small book actually, on uh, a person who worked with hospice. And they were hanging out with a lot of people who were on, on their deathbed. And they wrote a book about the five top regrets people have at the end of their life that they, they vocalize over and over, same regrets. And the number one really hit me between the eyes. So many people, when they get right before they know they're going to die, said from their bed to this lady, and she wrote, wrote it down, I wish I had the courage to live a life I know I should have lived instead of living a life that everyone else expected of me. I want you to hear that for a second. I wish I had the courage to live a life I know I should have lived instead of living a life that everyone else expected of me. See, this is where hope comes in for me. Because in the midst of storms, to be flat out honest, we can be cowards. In the midst of problems, in the midst of hurts, in the midst of pain, we say we believe in Jesus, who is our hope. But yet we, sometimes, more than like, more often than not, allow this world and other people to tell us how to live. And based on those things, if you really want to learn how to dance in the rain while the storm is going on, then you have to be anchored to the hope, the same hope that Mary had. And what does that mean? i tell you what it means for me. It means if I'm really anchored in the hope that Mary has, if I realize who Jesus is, then my present has to change. Things in me have to change. If I'm anchored in what I know what God is going to do, and I believe that he's going to carry out what he's already said he's going to do in the future, then something has to change today. My soul has got to magnify the Lord. And how does that happen? I believe this. You need to keep perspective in moments in your present. How many times... Do we get so angry and bitter and resentful about the littlest things in our life that happen? If you would just pause for a moment and think, does it really matter? Does it really matter if I know? I've told you guys this one, I've told you guys this once before, but <laughs> I'm just weak this way. I'm a big, uh, big sports fan. You know, I like and I watch, watch a lot of games, I watch a lot of hockey games. And uh, I, I usually record them. I wait to see if, if the Blues won or not, and then I go back and watch it. Because <laughs> I get too mad when they lose. So if they lose, just don't watch it. If they win, I go watch it. And the reason I go watch it when they win is why? I don't get mad. I don't get upset. It doesn't matter if they're down 6 nothing because I know they're going to win 7-6. <laughs> see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter what happens because I already know the end of the game. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. If you believe, if, really, if hope is a big deal, you know, which it should be in a Christian's life, 
then it has to play into today, even into the small moments. Acting as if in that small moment that I already know what's going to happen at the end. So since I do, I'm okay with it. I'm anchored. What does anchor mean in a storm? It means I'm not going to move. I don't get swayed just because the wind is strong. Just because the waves pick up doesn't mean it carries me out to sea aimlessly. This is what I've learned from a 14-year-old. That no matter, you know, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but life never turns out the way you expect it to. Does it? It hasn't for me. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it hasn't turned out the way I've expected it to. Because we're finite and we're miserably wrong the majority of the time. And if you don't believe it, ask your spouse. They'll tell you. (laughs) They will tell you. Here's the next thing I think if, you know, is this, it comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. If you have hope in this world, if you know the end of the story, if you know what's, that God is going to do based on the past, what he's going to do in the future is absolutely true, from the mouth of Jesus, quit worrying. How much of our lives, like Jesus said, do we try to add to our life? We can't add anything to our life with worry. But yet, Worry has got to be number one on most of our lists. I was listening to a sermon by Billy Graham, 1975, in a packed-out stadium in New Mexico. No, I wasn't there personally, because I wouldn't have understood a word he said, because I was way young. But I was alive. (laughs) (laughs) But I was listening just recently, and I couldn't believe my ears. 45, 50 years ago, this man is claiming that America is terrible, that everything is just awful, that the world is going downhill and Jesus is coming back in the next year maybe. In 2021, I hear the same things. I've got a feeling if I listened to preachers 40 years before him, I would have heard the same things. And before him, 50... If you read the Old Testament prophets, you hear the same things. But here's the thing. Because of Jesus, our hope, we have nothing to fear. And yet we run around as scared people all the time. We're busy scaring the worldly people. When the truth is, we should be bringing them hope. When the truth is, they need to hear hope from us. When the truth is, they need to see people anchored in the storm. When the truth is, they need to see people who aren't pushed around by the waves of the world because we know exactly what they are. People who refuse in the midst of the worst to give in because my God is greater. My God is greater. I was reading another uh, article, someone else that interviewed people right before they died. I know it sounds gruesome and morbid, but just go with it with me. 
And the person asked this man, he said, do you wish you would have accomplished more in life? And his answer was, no. I wish I would have loved more in life. You see, people of hope are people who love. And love sometimes means taking risks. Because the other thing I hear from people right at the end of their life is I wish I would have taken a lot more risks than I did. But they're not talking about jumping, bungee jumping off bridges or jumping out of planes. They're not talking about I wish I would have taken more risks so I could climb the corporate ladder. They're talking, I wish I would have taken more risk by loving people the way I know I should have. I wish I would have lived the life that I was meant to live, not what everyone else thinks I should. Hope is realized in the future. I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that day. I just, to be honest, there's times I get really, really tired. Don't you? There are times when I, I'm tired of being so worrisome. I want to change my present so badly. But the only way that's going to happen is if I really start to realize that, my, that hope is not something that is abstract like the rest of the world knows, but that hope is actually a person who is coming back and who's going to save me. See, that's the thing about Christianity and our belief in Jesus is that we're not just full of a bunch of Sunday school stories. We're not just people who, who, who just like to get together and, and, and try to be like an op, you know, like optimist club, patting each other on the back. We are people who hurt just like the world hurts. But the difference is, is that we know the end. The difference is, is that this world can throw your body or damage your body and kill your body, mutilate you. But we know the one who has the power to throw us either into hell or bring us into the gates of heaven. And if we, if we believe in him and we believe in what he said he's going to do, then I guarantee he's coming back. If we believe in what he, that he's going to do and what he said he's going to do, then I believe that if you're in Jesus Christ, you're going to have eternity with, with peace. I want to read something to you as we close. It comes from the middle of a sermon of a, of a, a master orator. I'm not very good at this, but as he is, but I'm going to do my best to name S.M. Lockridge. Maybe some of you have heard this before. It's somewhat poetic. And really, it's something that is usually saved for the Easter season. But I want to read this because I really want you to hear it in light of the, what we've been talking about this morning. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter is sleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know, though, that Sunday's coming. You know, it's Friday, and the disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary is crying. Peter is denying, but they don't know 
that Sundays are coming. You know, it's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scarlet. They crown him in thorns. But they don't know that Sunday's coming. You see, it's Friday. And you see Jesus walking to Calvary. His blood is dripping. His body is stumbling. His spirit's burden. But you see, it's Friday. Sunday's coming. You see, it's Friday. And the world's winning. People are sinning. And evil is grinning. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. And the soldiers nail my Savior's hands to the cross. They nail my Savior's feet to the cross. They raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross feeling forsaken by this father, left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The earth trembles. The sky grows dark and my king yields his spirit. It's Friday. Hope is lost. Death has won. Sin has conquered. And Satan is just a laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It's only Friday. And Sunday's coming. I want to tack one stanza again at the end. The world is winning. People are sinning. And evil is grinning. But brothers and sisters, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for Jesus. He is our hope. May we be anchored in him. Father, we spend so much of our time, so much of our effort, so much of our spirit we involve in things that just don't matter. And when the storms hit, we are pushed around by the waves because our, the anchors that we have held on to just don't hold. Oh, Father, may we hold on to Jesus. May he become more important today. And Father, we praise you for the hope we will realize tomorrow. Oh, Father, give us perspective. Help us to not leave this life with those same regrets that so many others have had. For, Father, we want to live the life that you have called us to live boldly with risk, with determination, even in the midst of storms, 
Oh, Father, I am so weak. I am such a coward. Please forgive me. Please lift me up. Anchor me to Jesus. It's in his name that I pray.